Well, welcome to the second episode, I guess is what we're going to call this. Um, Really the first episode of the Trinity. I don't really know how many episodes I'm going to do on this particular topic. My guess is about three. I don't know how long these podcasts are going to be. They're probably going to be a little bit shorter just because I want to break down certain things about the Trinity so there's a better understanding of what it is. Um, First off, I'm sorry that it's taken this long for the next one. I think I'm going to try to do one a week, possibly, maybe two a week. We'll see. Um, I had a bunch of papers and stuff had to turn in this week. And so now that those are out the way, I can actually sit down and do this like I've wanted to do. But um, so basically, we'll be talking about the Trinity today. Um, Nothing absolutely crazy, even though I think you know, learning about the Trinity and where it came from is is extremely important as a follower of Christ to know. Uh, I would say the first thing we really need to know here is really like what is the Trinity and how is the Trinity even described? So often we have people who will describe the Trinity in a heretical way, not saying that they mean to do it, right? It's just that there's some people that in the grand scheme of things, don't really know how to explain it because it's one of those things where it's such a mystery. It's one of those things I think we'll never understand or completely comprehend entirely what it is because of just how mysterious the Trinity really is. So biblically, not really biblically, but throughout history, the way it's kind of been explained from early church fathers and and things like that would probably be, it's it's really, it's going to be this. It's going to be you have three separate persons who are one God, really is how it's described. Three persons, three distinct persons that are one God. So you have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They're all three separate persons, yet they are all one God equally. So the Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Father. The Father is not the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit's not the Son. So you have this kind of, I guess the best way that it's really illustrated is the triangle that a lot of people look at. That might be the best way. I mean, you have three separate corners of a triangle, yet they're all connected, making one shape. So, I mean, I would say that that's illustrations been used for centuries, throughout centuries, really. And I think that's probably the best way to explain it. And I think so often we have people that are like, oh, well, or the father is Jesus. You know, that's that's actually a heresy that I think we're going to go into maybe in a different episode. I don't really want to hit on that as much as I really want to hit on the history of where the Trinity came from. So we're going to hit on that, but that would fall under modalism, claiming that the Father is Jesus, whenever in reality what we say is there are three distinct persons, yet one God. So really what we want to start off talking about now that we know really what the Trinity is and how it's described we want to start with the history of the Trinity. Like, where did this concept of a Trinity come from? You know, is it just something that just randomly popped up throughout history? Is it something that was man-made? You know, why did it, you know, come later on in the centuries? Why didn't it come right away after um, the resurrection of Christ? And those things we're going to be really answering and kind of focusing on today in this podcast is the history of the Trinity and, and where exactly is it from? I've had people come up to me in the past, um, whether that be like out in the streets or, you know, whether I'm joining a podcast and I'm talking to 
someone who doesn't believe in the Trinity, who's not a Trinitarian, like we would call ourselves, you know, they would come up and be like, oh, well, the Trinity, you know, how can you believe in the Trinity when it came out in the fourth century? And that's a question that people ask actually a lot if people really get theological in their conversations with others. You know, there may be some people that listen to this and listen to this and be like, well, I've never had somebody come up and say that to me. Um, I would say that there's going to come a point where you're going to have to describe the Trinity to somebody because that's something that really confuses people. And if they really do their history on it, I think they will ask you the question, uh, you know, why did it come in the fourth century? Why did it come so late? And that's what really that's what we're really going to describe here. Now, I don't have a manuscript. I'm not reading off of anything. So I'm not going to be as accurate on my date on my dates as maybe I probably should be because I'm not really looking at anything to reference off of. So this is solely just going to be based off of head knowledge and really what I remember. Um, so I always recommend, man, go back and check. I'm not saying I'm going to give you false information, but there's obviously more specific things about this particular topic when you get into the Council of Nicaea and things like that, uh, because there's obviously more things that happen through the Council of Nicaea which we're going to talk about in a second, then obviously just the, the doctrine of the Trinity. But anyways, so around 61, 62 AD, there was a new emperor who was Nero. Um, some claim actually that he was the Antichrist, interesting enough. But um, I, I think post-millennials who hold to that eschatology say that the Antichrist has already came. Very interesting. Anyways, so about 60... 61, 62, 80, something around there. Nero was emperor at the time. Christianity has already kicked off at that point. Uh, you've had a spread of Christianity um, that was rapidly spreading. And Rome at that time had burned down. And Nero, what, what he basically did was he blamed the Christians. He said, okay, well, the Christians are the ones that burned down Rome. Glorious, prideful, powerful Rome. I mean, the powerhouse at the time, the world, um, the world power was burned down and he blamed it on Christians. And so from that point on, from about 62 AD all the way through until about 312-ish AD, Christians were killed. They were persecuted. They were taken captive and they were tortured and killed for their faith. That's where you have these martyrs. Uh, Christian martyrs, people that died for the faith. And so, honestly, if you really want to get into the study of the martyrs, they're actually very interesting to read about. Um, they would have these house churches and things like that, secret underground meetings about the Bible. Um, they weren't really discussing theology at that time, and I think we can all kind of understand that. And I think so many people are like, oh, well, you know, why didn't the doctrine of the Trinity, you know, come out? At, well, why did it come out in the 4th century? Well, if you look back, I mean, you have Christians that are being absolutely slaughtered at this time. I mean, you have Christians who are being burned at the stake, crucified. You have Christians who are being thrown into a coliseum with lions to be eaten alive. You have these people who are being put into bronze bulls. Basically, they'll build a, like the Romans would build a bronze bull. And they would have a little opening in the stomach and they would put somebody inside of this bull. And they would set it over a fire and basically it would burn you alive basically it basically melt you and so they would do this to these people truly truly sad i mean especially people that really stood for their faith i mean it's 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 really humbling and encouraging to 
I think Christians in today's time that really look back and see those things and you see the people who were bold in their faith, even in today's time, I mean, there's Christians that are still being persecuted at this time. But so there was just a long time of Christian persecution. A lot of Christians were hiding. Um, their main objective was to just keep getting the gospel out like this. We just got to get people to know the gospel and and to and to understand it so we can continue to keep spreading it, even though we're being persecuted. And so they were hiding. Um, they were uh, laying low, so to speak. And it really wasn't until Constantine became emperor, which was, I think, like 312 or something like that. And Constantine at the time, I don't believe entirely liked Christians. It wasn't until Constantine had a dream. Um, he had a dream that he was leading his army into battle. And when he had looked up into the clouds, he had seen um, basically a Christian symbol. I think it was the cross. And so when he saw that, um, he looked down at his at his troops and he basically had like prayed to God or something along those lines and they ended up winning the battle in the dream. And so basically Constantine woke up from that dream. They went to war. And so what Constantine did was he actually put uh, a cross on their shields, I believe. It was like a cross on their shield sort of thing. And they went in the battle and they ended up winning. And so with that, Constantine at that point said, you know, there's a God. I believe that the Christian God is, is true. And so from that, uh, Constantine made it able for Christians to not be persecuted anymore, that they are welcome to practice what they believe because of that um, victory uh, that Constantine had. And so following that, once these Christians came out of the low or the uh, hiding, so to speak, there was a lot of different doctrines being floating around at this point. Um, because not only did Constantine welcome Christianity, he also welcomed paganism. He also welcomed a lot of different teachings that also were arising. I mean, multiple different religions at that point. That's why some people really question if he was even a Christian by the end of his age. Some people don't really know, but um, it's good that he allowed Christians to be able to, you know, have that freedom to be able to, be able to exercise their, their belief. Anyways, there was a lot of different doctrines floating around at this time because you had such a low point where a lot of Christians were hiding, just trying to get out the gospel. And there was, it really wasn't a set doctrine at that time that they could really teach or, you know, whatever. Um, so Constantine, being confused, called in all the bishops from the area, um, all like the really high bishop, intelligent, educated people who basically survived persecution and things like that. And so they held this big old council, right? He called a council and they call it the Council of Nicaea. And so during this council, it was really to decide what is the what is the right doctrine? Like, what, what are we supposed to be teaching here, right? You know, who is Christ? Who is what, what is the deity of Christ? And so you had these different people who got up and were talking about, you know, their view of scripture. And so you had somebody who was named Arius. I can't remember his first name. I just know his last name was Arius. And basically he was teaching that Christ had been created and basically that he wasn't God for the most part. And there was a basically a massive eruption um, within that council whenever he got up and preached this. They are saying that that's not true and things like that. And, and this is rumored. I mean, this isn't set in stone. This is just a legend. St. Nicholas, who was a very known bishop, in that time era 
actually supposedly legend legend says that he went up and actually punched Arius while he was spatting out his heresies and basically left the council at that time it's a legend i don't know if that's true or not pretty interesting though so from that council they had finally decided majority every everybody at that point really Arius was the only one that was believing that crap basically came together and said okay this is the true doctrine this is what has been taught this is what paul taught and this is what's been passed down and this is what's being taught through the persecution time of the christians from about 60 a.d all the way till about 312 at this point it's 325 and that's when the council of nicaea was really held which is fairly interesting i mean to and to know that these martyrs and these early church fathers really came together and said this is it this this is the true doctrine and they went through scriptures they went through paul's letters they th went through old testament scriptures and things like that and they said this is it this is the true doctrine and so from that day they established the true christian doctrine of the trinity and what was the trinity and anything else that was outside the orthodoxy of the trinity was considered heresy and heresy was a big deal i mean if you're teaching heresy especially outside the trinity then you're, you're not you're not able to really be saved if that makes sense and and, I, and the reason i say that is because for example like if you don't believe jesus is god right then you can't be saved it says it in john chapter 8 it says uh, Jesus says that unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Uh, we're going to get into uh, verses that support the Trinity later on in the podcast. I'm just going to go ahead and just maybe give you one or two. Uh, but basically, Jesus said that if you don't believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Uh, that was a scripture that was used in the Council of Nicaea. Also, in Paul's letter to Rome, in Romans 10.9, it says, unless you confess, or yeah, unless you confess that Jesus is Lord, not unless, but if you confess that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that he rose from the dead, you will be saved. So you have to believe Jesus is Lord. And that word Lord there is the same that is used for God. So it, it was they, they, the, the bishops at that time said, all right, well, you have to believe Jesus is God. I mean, you have to. And so you have people like Arius who were teaching that Jesus was created and was not God. He kind of was teaching more of what Mormons really believe in present day era. And so it was an issue. And so heresy and false teachings were things that were arising at that time. They were handled very seriously. And that's why I think in today's era, we kind of loosely use the word heresy. When I think in today's era, we shouldn't really throw around that word like it's nothing. Because back then, if someone was a heretic, and I'm talking like fourth century, they would literally tie you up and like stone you until you confess that what you believed in was a heresy because they didn't want you going around and preaching heresy because you're leading people astray doing that. And so they took that as a very serious deal. Obviously today, if someone's preaching something heretical, I mean, it's really not that serious, which I don't think you should stone them, but I think that we should be very cautious of heresies that are arising in today's era or re arising from past times. And so really that's the gist of the history of the Trinity. And that's kind of been the set in stone Christian doctrine throughout time. And so when somebody says, normally when somebody says, okay, well, the Trinity didn't become a thing until the fourth century. Well, you're exactly right. Because before the Council of Nicaea, you have Christians who are literally being persecuted and killed for going around and just saying, Jesus 
Jesus died on the cross for your sins. Repent and believe. They would get killed for that. And so the primary objection of the Christians, of the early church martyrs, was not to preach a doctrine, not to preach the Trinity. It was just to preach Jesus in order for people to get saved, to, to continue to disciple others, to then go out and to continue to spread Christianity and to not die and to not be killed. And so that was really the primary objective of those people. And they didn't want to, they, they didn't want to get killed. They didn't want to um, obviously get burned at the stake and things like that. So obviously it wasn't until the fourth century, whenever that was decided, because they were able to actually gather together and decide that. So yes, you, you had the council of Nicaea and that decided the Christian, the true Christian orthodoxy that we now follow today. And we believe it to be true because we believe scripture backs it up. And so in the next further episodes, I think maybe in the next one or the one after, we're going to talk about scriptures that do back up the Trinity. I know a lot of people say, okay, well, you know, the Trinity is a man-made word. And rightly so it is. I mean, Trinity is something that obviously we made up. It's not something that's necessarily in the Bible. But it's one of those things like, are there dinosaurs in the Bible? Well, the word dinosaur isn't in the Bible, but there are places in the Bible, uh, essentially Job, where it talks about these massive beasts with tails aside of cedar trees that um, were reigning on the earth at that time that obviously aren't still alive, like a behemoth or a leviathan. Like, I'm sorry, but I think a leviathan would count as a dinosaur if you really went and like looked at pictures of people who tried to paint the picture that Job was talking about of the sea monster, really. So there's no doubt in my mind that there were dinosaurs throughout scripture. I think scripture talks about dinosaurs, not in the sense of it being a dinosaur, in the sense of it just being a beast um, that's currently not alive anymore. So when someone says, oh, well, the word Trinity is not in the Bible. Well, sure. Maybe that's not in the Bible, but it's certainly talked about. It's, <laughs> I think so, so many, so often we have people that are like, oh, words give meanings. I think we were talking about this today at school. I take a logic class. Um, it's quite interesting, actually. Uh, it's like more of like a logic, philosophy, ethical sort of thing. Uh, words don't give meanings. Meanings give words. And so, the, tr the word Trinity is just used to describe the meaning that is mentioned throughout the Bible of the three separate persons that are one God. So that's something that you definitely have to think about because I know so often people don't really understand that. For example, the word charity, right? There are multiple definitions of the word charity. Charity can mean a charity where you raise money for, um, let's just say like a hospital or something that could be used as a word charity. And then you have the word um, charity used in a word of love. So like in the King James Bible where it says, love is patient, love is kind. And 1 Corinthians 13, that word there is actually charity is patient, charity is kind. So that word charity can be used as love. So right there you have two different um, words there or two different meanings that are falling under the same exact word. And so how do you know which one's which? Well, it depends on the context of how you use the word. So you're adding more meaning to make one essential objective meaning. And I know that makes like, I know that's kind of a hard thing to grasp, but the more words that you add, 
that's where you're going to get your context, right? So it's like, um, I'm raising money for this charity, right? Saying that, you automatically know that the charity that you're talking about in that instance from the context of that sentence is you're raising money to go to an organization to help fund, I don't know, maybe kids with cancer. But when you say, you know, I really charity my family, you're not saying that you're, you really, you know, children, organization, your family, <laughs> you know, it doesn't make sense. In that context, you're saying you love your family. So words don't make a meaning. Meanings make the words. Words are just there to help you understand the meaning. And how do you understand the meaning? Or how, yeah, like how do you understand which meaning it is? It's the context of the sentence, right? I don't know really why I went down that road. Maybe somebody wanted to hear that. <laughs> it's kind of interesting, but uh, with all that being said, yes, the word Trinity isn't there, but the, the word Trinity is used just to describe or assign, it's assigned to a meaning throughout scripture for us to be able to understand, right? So maybe that was a little confusing. I didn't mean to get all philosoph philosophical there. Uh, but yeah, that's essentially really what the Trinity is as a whole. I think we'll go ahead. I'm, I'm, I might go ahead and uh, jump into a little bit of the heresy and then we'll pick up on heresies in maybe the next episode. But modalism, uh, something that was arising within the fourth century as well, is Jesus being the father and the father being Jesus. I think so often people kind of get confused with this heresy that was being taught throughout the early churches that was handled very seriously. And the reason for that is because at that point you're saying, I mean, if you're consistent with saying that the father is Jesus, right? And there's some people that to this day still preach this. Essentially what they believe is that you have the father who morphed into Jesus and Jesus morphed into the Holy Spirit. So essentially they're not all three coexisting together eternally. They're morphing into each other. So yeah, the father is Jesus. So the father, you know, morphed into Jesus and then Jesus walked on earth and then Jesus resurrected and then morphed into the Holy Spirit. And so you don't have Jesus anymore. <laughs> so you see, it's, it's something that is very heretical and not Orthodox Christianity. So it's, it's a very dangerous heresy really. And you know, there's certain scriptures. I don't understand how someone could follow modalism and read the baptism of Jesus. <laughs> That's something I will not understand because you have all three present in that moment, separate, like separately all there. Um, then you have instances where Jesus is praying in the, in the garden of Gethsemane um, before he's about to get crucified. He's praying to the father. It would be silly if Jesus was praying to himself. That doesn't make much sense. But yet we have people that say that. We have people that say, oh, he was praying to himself. No, he wasn't. He was praying to the Father. They clearly had two different wills. Because if you read throughout that verse, Jesus all through the New Testament, before I say this, Jesus all throughout the New Testament said, said that he came to do the Father's will, right? Um, when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, Christ even said himself, uh, Father, let this cup pass from me. But let your let your will be done thy will be done not mine christ was saying that he wanted the father's will to be done not his so christ's will wasn't to drink the cup of god's wrath right it was the father's will for christ to drink the cup of god's wrath 
And so he did. He did the Father's will. And so that's an interesting verse in itself. So clearly the Father and Jesus both had different wills, therefore distinctively separating the two persons of the Trinity, yet they are both God. They both claim to be God. And the Holy Spirit obviously also claims to be God and acts. And I think we're going to go through scriptures and things to talk about the Trinity and how they all claim to be God. But we'll hit a little bit more on uh, a little bit more on like that modalistic view, like the, the different personalities, uh, the different persons of the Trinity. Um, they all, I'll just explain the different wills thing. I know I'm not going to really get into it as much as I would like to. I think the next podcast we will. Uh, but just read the Garden of Gethsemane um, if you want to really get into understanding the different persons, the different wills of them both. Um, like I said, throughout all the New Testament, you can find Christ going around saying that he came to do the Father's work, right? Uh, which is pretty interesting when you think about it. So like the Father isn't Christ. Christ isn't the Father. The Father is the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit isn't Jesus. But they're yet they're all God. It's something that's so hard to wrap really your head around because it's so mysterious. As it rightly should be. I feel like that if we knew everything and could comprehend everything, God wouldn't be worthy enough to worship because at that point you're putting God in a box. And God is outside of that box. God is outside of space, time, and matter. And it's one of those things where we're never really going to comprehend and understand it until we're in that glorified state in heaven. So that's as much as we could probably know about it. And so and maybe in, in the next episode, I do plan on talking about illustrations people use um, to explain the Trinity and why we shouldn't use those certain illustrations about the Trinity because they can come off heretical. I'm not going to get into it today. We'll go through it next episode. Next episode, we're also going to be talking about uh, maybe a couple other heresies that were arising. Uh, modalism certainly was one. Just essentially what modalism was, like I said earlier, was just uh, Jesus being created. He wasn't the eternal God, you know, those sorts of things. Um, we're going to go through a couple scriptures that mention the Trinity. And uh, we're going to explain how we can explain the Trinity to somebody else. And why you need the Trinity is also another very good one. So thank you guys for joining. Sorry for the late podcast, but hopefully you guys enjoyed the history of the Trinity. Um, I know it maybe was not as specific or clear as I probably could have got it because I don't have a manuscript in front of me. Um, but essentially that is the gist of it. That's the gist of how it became to be through the Council of Nicaea. Obviously there's other things talked about in the Council of Nicaea. Uh, if you guys are more interested in it, definitely go look into the history of it. Um, but the Trinity is the true original Christian doctrine decided in 325 that was established for us to believe because it was what was being taught before during the persecutions of Christians, at least in 62-ish AD. Um, Paul taught it. Christ taught it. Um, Christ revealed it, really. So, yeah, pretty straightforward. And so if people ask you that question, well, oh, the Trinity was created in the 4th century. Absolutely. Absolutely. It was decided in 325 AD. But that's really because Christians were being persecuted. They weren't worried about establishing a doctrine. They were worried about surviving and spreading the gospel of Christ. That's what it was all about. So thank you guys again for joining. I'll catch you guys in the next podcast.